0: reading this morning from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Godnares, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs were feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. The word of the Lord." You want me to do what? That's at least the first response that I have when I hear Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 8. You want me to not go to my father's funeral and follow after you? Jesus, you want me to do what? This command that he's giving, this call that he is extending, is radical. And the first response, I would assume for many, is, are you serious? You really want us to not attend the funeral of our own Father? In Colossians chapter 1 this morning that we read, the final verses, Paul says, I struggle with all of this energy so that you would become like Christ, so that you would mature in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I read that and I say, You want me to become like who? Paul, you want me to become like who? What a lofty ideal. What a lofty command or call. Well, it really all comes down to who is the one saying this. A lot depends on the identity of the caller or the identity of the one speaking. It makes all of the difference for you the identity of who's speaking. If I stood up this morning and I said, hey, I've got some fashion tips for you. And I said to you, hey, I know a couple of great deals at Kohl's in the $9.99 shirt rack. How many are we going to have rushing to Kohl's after worship this morning? No men. Come on, somebody, give me some credit here. Thing One, two, thing. The rest of you are just afraid what your wife will say on the way home, thing. Right so if I stand up here and I say I've got some fashion advice no one's listening no one's running to Kohl's but if I invited Ralph Lauren this morning to come and give us some fashion tips the cameras and the notebooks would be out and if they said hey there's a sale rack at Kohl's even though it's cold oh, you would wear you'd be on your way to Kohl's why Because of the identity of the one speaking. The identity changes everything. This morning, when we hear this command, our call from Jesus, and if we don't understand the identity of the one who's making the command, the command is simply going to feel burdensome. Not only is it going to feel burdensome, but it's going to feel a little out of place, a little too much, or a little too religious. That's why we have to take some time this morning to understand the identity of the one giving the command or issuing the call. And so this morning, I'm going to ask that you would hop into the imagination station with me. I'm going to give you permission for the next five to seven minutes to be a five-year-old again. So let your minds run wild because I think we've got to go back in time a little bit to really understand the greatness of what we're reading. So often we read the Bible and it's just like, Yep. Nice story makes a great children's book. And we can miss the magnificence. So, this morning, let's hop in the imagination station for a moment. If you've got someone sitting next to you, just grab their arms like this. Grab your arms, grab their arms like this. Participate. Thing, thing. Grab their arms, thing. Now, ho! Oh, we're in a boat. We're in a boat. The waves are starting to get really big, really big. The waves are moving. The water's coming in. Hold on, hold on. Water. Hey, grab a bucket. Get rid of some of the water. Get rid of some of the water.
1: The waves are out of
0: control. Hold on. Hold on. Dan. Dan, where are you, Dan? Dan. We've got dead weight. We've got to throw you over. Dan. Dan. Hold on. waves are still going. The waves are still going. Pierce. Pierce, where are you? Pierce, tell the waves to stop. Tell the waves to stop. Here's still the waves to stop. Whoa. The waves stop. Can you imagine? Oh, we don't have to imagine. We're in a boat. And the waves just stopped. Who is this man? We've been fishing together for 30 years. And in 30 years of fishing together, none of us have said to the waves, stop. And it stopped. None of us have even tried because what? That would be crazy. We've been fishing together for 30 years and even at the tavern at the end of the day, no one has said, hey, I stopped the waves today. (laughs) Because that would be crazy. Who is this man? If we were in that boat, and we are in that boat, what would we say about that man? We would say, he is powerful. Would we not say, Whoa! What kind of power do you have? When we see what happens in that boat, we can only say, Jesus is powerful. Now if you open up to Colossians chapter 1 and just keep your finger there, if you have your Bible, just keep your finger right in Colossians 1. You read about the boat, Jesus in the waves, nothing but Jesus is powerful. Then you read Colossians chapter 1, 15 and 16, and it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the one who all things are created through and for. So in Colossians 1, what does it say? Jesus is powerful, supreme. So every time today that I say Jesus is powerful, immediately after that, you have to say supreme. Jesus is powerful. What we see in the story of the boat is we see the power of Jesus at work. And in Colossians chapter 1, we see the declaration that Jesus is powerful. Supreme. He's supreme because he's over all creation. He created everything. He owns the waves. He tells the waves what to do. Not only has it, no one ever done this, no one has ever claimed to do this. And this is important to recognize. If someone came in here today and said, hey, I hear you need some rain tomorrow. And we said, yeah. And they said, well, hey, I'll, I'll bring rain for you tomorrow. Right? We would go, okay. And then what would we do? Send them to Avera Mental Health. I mean, right if we're honest with ourselves, if someone really made that claim, right? That's crazy to say they control the weather and then what? Actually do it. This is the one who's talking. Jesus is powerful okay, now we need to hop back into our imagination station thing. So Jesus is, we're in the boat, right? Now we're out of the boat, we're walking along, but now we're no longer the people that were with Jesus. Now I want everybody to take two hands and like you're in jail. Now some of you went way too quick, like you have experience in that matter thing. So like you're in jail, grab onto the jail bars. Now you've been in this jail for about 20 years. Not only have you been in this jail, but you've had shackles on your legs. So every once in a while, I'll just go, let's practice that thing. Now, you're doing that because what? You've tormented by demons. For 20 years, you've been tormented from demons. And now we're all together in this tomb with a shackle around our leg. Hey, how's it going, buddies? Whoa, there's crazy people here, thing. And as you shake, hey. Crazy people don't sit still. Crazy people don't sit still. (laughs) Oh, look, look, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Maybe he can help us. Jesus. And then what? Be gone. Where'd they go? Hey, look, there's some pigs. They're running down the hill. Somebody stop the pigs, they're going in the water. What was just causing us to be crazy is now in the pigs, causing them to go in the water. 20 years we've been locked up like this. Dude, where's your shackles? You're not excited at all. Whoa, who is that guy? He spoke and they were gone. And the pigs, they're gone too. Can you imagine? What would you say? 20 years in chains. Not just in chains, but 20 years of being set aside by the rest of society. Of outside the community. Not let back in. Not just that though, but do you know how they were fed? They were fed the way your grandfather fed the pigs. A bucket. Have at it. And now what? They're telling stories to the townspeople. Not only are they telling stories, they're interacting, and now they're actually in agreement with the townspeople. Get that guy out of here. Who is this man? Jesus is powerful. Okay, we're out of the imagination station here. (laughs) Jesus is powerful. Not just that, though. He's, he's not just su- supreme over creation in nature. He is preeminent. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. He's preeminent in that he has authority over what? The living and the dead over all powers, good or evil. Preeminent simply means he's in first place. He is commander-in-chief over all, the dead and the living. Jesus is powerful. So now it's getting a little more difficult. And we're dying already early here, so I'm a little nervous. Whenever I say Jesus is powerful, you're going to say supreme, preeminent. (laughs) Let's just practice the word preeminent once. Preeminent. Beautiful. Jesus is powerful, supreme, preeminent. This is who's in the boat. This is who just freed men from being in shackles, in jail, basically. This is the one who's saying, follow me. This is the one who is saying, you should be like me. And now that command changes drastically when we know the one who's making that command. Because the one making that command is Jesus. And Jesus is powerful, supreme, preeminent. We have to be really careful. That we do not turn the Bible into a comic strip. And if we weren't here this morning, everything that we just did would be what? Crazy. Well, kind of it was crazy. Would be considered a comic strip. If we were now reading these two stories in what's called a church this morning, you'd be said what? You're reading a comic strip. Not only are you reading a comic strip, you might be watching a sci-fi movie. Sometimes that's what we've turned the Bible into. When in reality, the Bible is capturing for us a moment in time, a very special moment in time when God came to earth in the form of a human being. This is not a comic strip. This is revelation from God of someone who came and someone who has got all power, all authority over everything. Don't ever let the Bible just become a children's book that excites you for a season in your life. But look and see the magnificence that's revealed in these stories. Because when we lose the magnificence, we lose the real Jesus. Why were all of the people coming to see Jesus? He was attracting huge crowds. Wherever we look in the Bible, it says great crowds gathered around him. He was attracting huge crowds. Why? It's not because he was a nice, warm, fuzzy guy with some really cool self help teachings. Not at all. Not at all. Why were they coming? Because he had power. They were bringing their sick and ill from 50 miles, if not further, away. Why? Because they want to be healed. Why were all of the insane people, literally the insane people, trying to get to this man Jesus? Not because they wanted some new idea, because they wanted his power. They were coming to Jesus because Jesus is a miracle man. Jesus has authority. Whenever it talks about Jesus teaching in the temple and it says the people stood in awe, notice that it doesn't say they stood in awe because of the teaching. No, they stood in awe because he taught as one who had authority. People were coming to Jesus because he has power. Jesus commands our attention because of who he is. Jesus commands our attention because Jesus is powerful. We have to allow the scriptures to capture our minds and elevate our thinking about Jesus. And, and the real meat comes this spot in Matthew chapter 8. At the end of the story, what happens? The crowd asks Jesus to leave. This is good proof thing that this is not just some made-up thing. Because if I'm trying to make it up and I'm trying to make Jesus popular, I'm doing what? I'm sending the demons away. But I'm not doing what? I'm not ruining the local economy. Don't miss how big of a deal this is. Jesus does what? He sends it into a herd of pigs. The pigs are gone. Do you realize what just happened? Jesus just came to Sioux Falls and he shut down Avera and Sanford. Do you know what would happen to the economy in Sioux Falls if Avera and Sanford shut down? It would shrivel overnight. Jesus just did this. We're not exaggerating. A herd of pigs. Can you imagine the herdsmen? Oh, crap. <laughs> because to have more pigs, what do you need? Okay, folks, this is pretty simple. <laughs> to have more pigs, you need money. We need pigs. Pay- Whoa, my goodness! <laughs> thing, thing, thing. All right, we're not going to get into the scientific details. But to create new piglets, you need to have two adult pigs. Folks, if he just put the whole herd in the water, how are you going to grow the herd at all? Jesus just ruined the local economy. Jesus didn't show up as some nice guy. Hey, everybody gather around for some ideas. When Jesus showed up on the scene, there was a king who arrived, a king who had power a king who was supreme over everything and a king who said, I am preeminent. I am in charge here. I will declare what is to be done. And when we understand that this is who Jesus is, it changes everything about the call that Jesus gives. And the call that Jesus gives is radical because very simply, Jesus is saying this, you should be loyal to me beyond all other loyalties. So when Jesus gives this hard word here, let the dead bury the dead. You know, Jesus is saying, He's not saying here, hey, don't ever go to a funeral. That's not the point. The point is this is saying, hey, are you loyal to me above and beyond any of your human loyalties at all? Jesus is asking us to give Him our loyalty that's beyond all other loyalties. Most of us read this passage and we say, that's for the fanatic Christians. That's for the the Christians who really want to get serious. They become disciples. No, no. Jesus gives this call to the whole crowd. There's no separate classes in Christianity. Jesus doesn't say, well, let's bring the Christians together. I want to create the haves over here, the disciples. And then over here, I want to create the have-nots, just the Christians. No, no. Jesus makes the same call to everyone. Follow. I want all of your loyalty. When the Apostle Paul is writing in Colossians chapter 1, he says, I want everyone to mature in Christ. He's not saying, hey, I just want the fanatic few to mature in Christ. Everyone else, you can just stay immature and and just have a little faith and come back to Jesus at the end. No, everyone mature in Christ. The call is the same to all of us, to give Jesus our loyalty beyond all other loyalties. Well, what would that mean for us today? If we gave Jesus our loyalty beyond all other loyalties? It would mean that Christ is no longer compartmentalized in our lives. So often, many of us compartmentalize Jesus. How many of you have a junk drawer at home? Wow, I'm impressed. Either you're not listening, or many of you are way more organized than I thought. I thought everybody had a junk drawer. What's the problem with a junk drawer? You don't have it compartmentalized. Everything is just thrown in, and it is a mess. A compartment puts everything in its right place. The scissor here, the tape here, the Hershey Kisses here, the batteries here. Don't you have Hershey Kisses in your drunk drawer? Everything. If you have a compartment, everything's in its nice little spot. You don't let it touch. So many of us have done that with Jesus. We've said, I have my home life. I have my work life. I have my social life. I have my church religious life. I have my finance life. Da, 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 da. And Jesus gets one compartment. And then what happens is this. We start to feel guilty because we're like, I know Jesus' compartment should be a little bit bigger. So then what happens? Your loyalties start to battle against each other. Loyalty to family, loyalty to work, loyalty to social group, loyalty to Jesus, da-da-da-da. Because we have misunderstand what Jesus is saying. He's not saying, I want one compartment. He's saying, I want your loyalty to me to influence all of these other compartments. So when we're answering the call of Christ, we're doing this. We're allowing Jesus to influence all of our other loyalties. So what am I? I'm a Christian husband. I'm a Christian employee. I'm a Christian friend. Notice what I am first. I'm a Christian first. It's not about, oh, I don't know if I can take my faith to my workplace. That has nothing to do with it. The question is this, do you allow Jesus to inform how you are an employee? And Jesus wants to form you into an absolutely magnificent employee. If we follow Christ's thing, let's look at some examples. So if we're going to be loyal to Christ above all, that means we celebrate Halloween as a Christian. We had Halloween last night, and Halloween to some is a big deal, to others it's not a big deal. I don't want to get into that fight this morning. But very simply, Halloween is people running around and Stupid costumes, doing weird stuff, right? So there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't celebrate Halloween or whatever like that. So as a Christian, I'm not asked to just stand out and say, hmm, I can't celebrate Halloween because it's not in the Bible. And just, or I'm not asked to just be like, everybody who celebrates Halloween is evil and going to hell. No, I'm asked to do what? Celebrate Halloween as a Christian. So what does that mean? It means I turn my light on and I say, hey, my house is a safe place. Come here and be blessed. We love kids. We love the community because we're Christians. To celebrate Halloween as a Christian means this. I'm going to go out and I'm going to celebrate with friends because friends are a gift from God. So we're going to have a good time together. As a Christian, I'm going to encourage them, build them up, spend time together, do things that are healthy for all of us involved. That's how I celebrate as a Christian. Well, what if I'm a Christian and I'm an athlete? If my loyalties to Christ are influencing my athletics, it looks like this. When I win or when I lose, guess what? My joy or my confidence doesn't change. Because athletics doesn't give me my joy or my confidence. My joy and my confidence comes from the fact that I know the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So what do I do in athletics? I participate in athletics because it's a great gift from God. God created it for us to enjoy. God gave it for us an opportunity to interact with one another and I'm just going to do it. I'm going to have fun doing it because it's a gift. It's an opportunity. But guess what? It's not going to have the final say on my attitude the next day. This morning, if some of you are grumpy because the Gophers did not score a touchdown at the end of the game last night, guess what? you got a problem. For one, you got way too high expectations of the Gophers. <laughs> but secondly, any time, any time that athletics or anything like athletics begins to influence your character and your attitude, guess what? It's having way too much influence. It's simply a gift for you to enjoy and enjoy it. If I'm a Christian, I'm going to do Halloween different. I'm going to do athletics different. Well, if I'm a Christian, how am I going to sell vacuums? Do we have any vacuum door-to-door salespeople anymore? Well, yes, there are still some out there. But let's just imagine for a moment that we're all salespeople door-to-door vacuums. If I'm a Christian, it's going to influence the way I sell vacuums. For example, I'm not going to say, hey, this thing will clean for you even when it's not plugged in. <laughs> this 18.9% interest rate over the next 24 months for this cleaning machine is well worth it. You need it. You should have it. No, because I'm selling it as a Christian. Because, so Jesus is influencing how I go about doing my job. Today, are you allowing your loyalty to Jesus Christ to influence all your other loyalties? Jesus is not saying it's wrong to be loyal to work. That's a good thing. You should be loyal to your family. But Jesus should influence that loyalty. Jesus should have the final say on how you interact with that loyalty. And guess what? Jesus has the right to do it. Because Jesus is powerful. And because Jesus is powerful, we have a responsibility to respond to the call. This morning, the danger is that everybody leaves here and says, I'm just going to be more loyal this next week to Jesus. We don't need you waking up in the morning saying, be more loyal, be more loyal. What we need to wake up in the morning is not saying, be more loyal, be more loyal. We need to wake up in the morning saying, Jesus is preeminent. Well, no, I didn't. Oh, good try. Good try. So you want a practical action step this next week? Do this. Take Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18, and memorize it. Because what are you doing? You're elevating your thinking. You're getting your mind and your heart captured with a biblical vision of who Jesus is. That's what we need to be reminded about. I need to be reminded every day, I'm not boss. Jesus is boss. I need to be reminded every day that everything is created for Jesus. Therefore, I need to glorify him in all that I do. Memorize who Jesus is, so then what? When those moments come, you can remember who is to have influence. So take a step. Elevate your thinking. Elevate your vision. This morning, though, some of us are still struggling because when I say Jesus is powerful, some of your hearts and your minds this morning say this, if Jesus is powerful, supreme, preeminent, I've never experienced it. If Jesus is powerful, why doesn't he just do this or that? And so our lack of personal experience with Jesus' power affects our overall vision and understanding of the identity of Jesus Christ. There's no appealing answer your dilemma this morning there's no attractive saying to that dilemma there's only honesty our personal dilemmas and experiences and trials and struggles do not negate the facts or the truth for example heaven forbid if someone made chocolate chip cookies with nuts but if someone made chocolate chip cookies with nuts and they brought them in and i ate them and i was like wow these are good and the person said to me, Hey, those had nuts in them. And I was like, ah, no, they didn't have nuts. They were good. I mean, Does the fact that I don't think they had nuts and ate them assuming that there were no nuts change the fact that they were made with nuts? It's it's tough. And I don't want to appeal on un, uncompassionate this morning. It is tough that some of us are in positions where we'd like to see Jesus' power exercised more. The honest reality is, even if we're not experiencing it, does not change the fact that Jesus is powerful. And so this morning, my hope and my prayer is that each of us would not reflect upon personal experience, but we'd reflect upon the revelation given to us in God's Word, and we would take a step of faith and say, yep, powerful, supreme. As we go forth today, I would ask you to consider one question. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Every one of us is becoming someone. We're either becoming more like our father or our mother, becoming more like our co-workers or our social friends. All of us are becoming someone. We become like those who whom we admire and adore, those whom we spend time with. Today, think back to your little boat ride. Think back to your few minutes in jail. And remember, there is only one who deserves to be admired and adored. And his name is Jesus Christ. And so today we go forth admiring and adoring Jesus Christ. And when we do, guess what? Will begin to reflect the person of Jesus Christ, becoming like him. Jesus is powerful. Amen.